0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 862.
1: Make sure that it is done right the first time. Delegate and let your subordinates do their job, but check periodically for progress and satisfactory uh, solution of the things that are happening. Make sure it's done right the first time.
0: Hello automotive enthusiasts! I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Howard Frears. Hey Howard, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: You bet I am. I'm ready.
0: (laughs) All right. Howard Frears is a retired automotive professional and enthusiast who spent over four decades between the Chrysler Corporation and the Ford Motor Company. His career included roles in engineering, powertrain systems, electrical engineering, and many, many other titles chief engineering, and in executive roles as well. Howard is a Society of Automotive Engineers Fellow, a distinguished senior member, an Engineering Society of Detroit Fellow, eminent engineer, Tau Beta Pi, and has an honorary doctor of engineering via Rose Human. He is also a trustee and board of managers at Rose Polytechnic and Rose Holman Institute of Technology. And by the way, Howard's son, David Frears, has been a guest here on Cars Yeah! So, Howard, I have told our listeners just a very little bit about your very long and illustrative career. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about that career and, of course, an obvious passion for automobiles?
1: I was born August the 13th, Friday, believe it or not, 1926. (laughs) 26, wow. (laughs) The number 13 has followed me throughout my life with good success and so forth. I was educated in Indianapolis Public Schools, I graduated from Arsenal Technical High School in the summer of 1943 after three years of high school and summer school in order to get started on my engineering education. Then I went over to a school which at that time was named Rose Polytechnic Institute. I entered that school and started my engineering work. However, it was interrupted. I was in the United States Navy from 1944 to 1945. I was in a special program where you took a test at the post office. If you passed that test, you went into education as an electronic technician. I graduated from that program in 1945 at Navy Pier, Chicago. I stayed there as an instructor after I graduated from the program until July of 46 when I discharged from the Navy. I went back to my home and entered Rose Polytechnic again, and I graduated from there. In uh, October of 1948, I immediately went to work at Chrysler Corporation. I mean immediately because I had a wife who was pregnant and I needed a salary. (laughs) Yes. So I uh, graduated from Chrysler Institute in uh, 1951 with a Master of Automotive Engineering. I was assigned to tanks. I didn't come to Detroit to work on tanks. So as soon as I heard that Ford was hiring, I went out for an interview at Ford. The interview went well, but they offered me a job as a development engineer. I said, no, I'm a Chrysler. I'm a supervisor at Chrysler. If you want me, you're going to have to make me a supervisor. So I was hired into advanced Mercury as a low-level supervisor, starting my Ford career in 1955.
0: Wow. Holy cow, well. You know, in our pre-show chat, I asked when you were born, and I think there's only one guest here on Cars, yeah, that has you beat by a few years, and that was Ed Iskaderian Isky, who's a little bit elder than you, but uh, wow, what a life. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about you as we go through this journey of yours, but first, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So Howard, take the wheel.
1: Well, I have used the words use your head for years, not only with my coworkers and subordinates, but also with my sons to where they throw it back at me many times. But anyway, <laughs> what does that mean? Use your head meaning think, use common sense to solve and correct and proceed as required using good common sense, and I used it constantly in difficult situations. Use your head. Very wise words
0: in being a parent. Yes, I know those uh, those mantras that we teach our children that they do throw back in our face once in a while. My kids <laughs> will do that to me. But use your head. You were in the engineering field in the automotive industry during some incredible times. And when I think about it, development of the Boss 302, the installation of seatbelts in cars, the Ralph Nader area. I mean, uh, Lee Iacocca. I mean, this is a period of time in the automotive industry that was really, really incredible. So if you can think back to one thing about using your head, that mantra, that really stands out for you. Is there one situation that you were working on cars that that really, really was required, as if not everything you did needed your head to be used?
1: Well, one night time we were working, uh, this was on the Fairlane car where I was an executive engineer. We had a bad vibration in the engine with air conditioning. We happened to be using two separate AC compressors, one iron and one aluminum. The one that gave us the problem was the iron one. So I kept after my guy. I took a car out of production, which I'll tell you brings a lot of pressure. Anyway, I told my guys, use your head and get this thing solved so we can get the car back in production. Yeah. They did, and we were happy again.
0: I guess so. Do you recall thinking back, what was the deal with the iron that was causing that vibration?
1: Well, it's much heavier, and it hung on a bracket off the side of the engine. Yep. And therefore, it it became, when you put the required air conditioning and so forth and raised the pressure in the uh, compressor, then it started to shake and vibrate and went right into the car. There you go. So the aluminum was fine, but... Our great purchasing department had to buy both of them for price control. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We had no, cho- we had no choice.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Interesting story, the Fairlane. Oh, yeah, very nice. Well, let's go back in time into your life. Is there a moment when you think back that you realize you indeed were a car guy?
1: Well, I want to start by saying my father, who was a Rose Gred in eight was the chief engineer of Marmon, and I'm sure you've heard of Marmon. Oh, yeah. And I, from the age of seven or eight, I badgered him to take me to work, to do something to get me further. I remember walking down at at Marmon, walking down through the garage with a bunch of beautiful cars there, some of them covered with with a cloth. The other thing, and, you know, try to find out what was going on, how it worked, and so forth. My father was also, and I'm mentioning this because he helped me, my father was also on the uh, technical committee at the Indy 500 when USAC ran it for AAA. And I got him to take me out to the track uh, on the days before the race when they were going through the technical exam of the cars, making sure that they were up to spec and so forth. It was before I was seven or eight that I decided, I want to be an auto engineer and I want to get started. (laughs) Wow. My founder helped me.
0: That is very cool. Marmon, yeah. Now, that's not a name I've heard in a while, but a very prominent name back in the day. So it sounds like you were uh, integrated into automotive at a very, very young age.
1: I was, and you may or may not remember, but at one time, Indianapolis was the center of the auto industry. And when it moved to the Detroit area, my father didn't uh, follow. He stayed in Indianapolis, worked at Marmon Harrington, different companies around there. Yeah. But kind of faded out of the industry. By then, I was on my own. As it should be for all children, they should
0: eventually be on their own. That's how you know you've raised them properly, right? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. You bet. (laughs) Howard, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the many roads you've gone down. Now, this is a very wide open question for someone like you that have been involved in the engineering aspects of so many automobiles for so many decades. But is there one situation, one huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way that garnered you a lot of knowledge moving forward and helped you learn out of that challenging story or that failure story?
1: Yes, sir. Challenging my new position after being Chief of Light Car Engineering, I was changed, not promoted, changed to Chief Light and Luxury Car Engineer to oversee four all-new 1972 cars, the Torino, the Montego, the Thunderbird, and the Mark IV. Those cars all used basically common chassis parts, but all unique sheet metal. So my job, which I like to say gave me a lot of uh, gray hair, <laughs> was to get those cars into production so that they'd be satisfactory to the customer. And uh, that was a very challenging situation to going from a stable car line to an all-new one and make sure as many of the bases were covered as could be.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, give us one example of one of the challenges of of. A tackling something like that. Because from the outside, for people that don't work in the industry, they think, oh, well, the bottom's the same. You just put a cover on the top and everything's simple,
1: right? Not so. Right. Not so, correct? The thing that stands out in that whole program well, might seem to be rather small, but the Mark IV, as you know, was a luxury car. We had contracted with our in-house supplier to supply an AM-FM radio, when it came time to go into production with the, with the Mark IV, they had nothing but an AM radio ready to go. Oh. And we said, how are we going to build this car with an AM-only radio? The company decided to go ahead and build the car and replace the radios after they'd been delivered to the customer through the dealer. But I'll tell you, that that was a situation that I didn't quite uh, understand why they did. Well, I believe they should have not have built the car, but they did. And then every customer of those first few cars had to come back and get his radio exchanged.
0: Now, can you imagine nowadays buying a luxury car and them telling you, by the way, in about six months, you got to bring it back so we can make it right? It would never happen today. You would think not. That,
1: that is correct. Today is quite different. I, I think they do a much better job of making sure they're ready to do the thing when, you know, when the time comes as opposed to taking a chance, if you will.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And when you think about manufacturing cars, there are so many pieces that go into these cars. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is the manufacturers don't make all those pieces they come from all sorts of suppliers and especially these days there's parts coming from all sorts of places and coordinating all those things having to be there right on time to go in the car to put it together i'm surprised you have any hair left on your head at all
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm with you all the way (laughs) but
0: of course i'm very jealous because we're doing this via skype and you've got a beautiful head of hair and i've got absolutely nothing on top of my skull so i'm just a little jealous that's all Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're welcome. Howard, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I would love for you to share a career aha moment. It's a time when those headlights come on and kind of illuminate your way to a new direction that you think was a right way to go. What was your career aha moment?
1: Well, as I told you much earlier, I went to work for Chrysler at Chrysler Engineering right out of school. I went through the Institute, which meant I had Chrysler Institute, which means that I had assignments every three months in different activities of the company and uh, learned different things like chassis, component, power steering, things like that. And after I graduated from the Institute, I had no control over where they assigned me. So they assigned me to tanks as a uh, an engineer Chrysler was the design agency on the new M48 battle tank, and I was in charge of building the first six prototypes. That tank had a one-piece casting as a hull, if you can imagine the size of that thing. I, to this day, I don't know how they held the dimensions on a one-piece casting. Yeah. Anyway, to finish my story, I was uh, sitting there one day, and I said, I'm, not, "I'm this isn't right. This isn't what I came to Detroit for. Right. So I had a cousin at Ford, and I asked him, is Ford hiring? And he said, absolutely. So I mentioned earlier that I set up an interview with them. I went out, I met with the right people, and I said before, they offered me a job as a development engineer, and that's when I said, no, I'm a supervisor at Chrysler, supervisor or nothing. Took a little bit of guts. Yes. Anyway, they hired me as a low-level supervisor in advanced Mercury, and we went from there.
0: Wow. Well, you were at Ford for how many years? 33. Oh, my goodness. Man.
1: I went from 55 to 88.
0: Uh, You know, again, I think about those years and all the different things happening in the automotive industry. I mean, what you saw, what you experienced, and what you made happen and helped make happen with your team Absolutely phenomenal. Have you ever written a book or you thought about writing a book about your career? No, sir.
1: Never. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm in the author category. I, I never thought about trying to pull that together. No.
0: Oh, it's a lot of work, but you know, we're getting a little touch of it here with you, Howard, so I'm very, very excited about that. Let's talk about a proudest career moment. I would assume you've had many because you've been involved in producing so many exciting automobiles over the decades, but is there one that really stands out for you?
1: Yes, sir, it does. The 1969 Mustang Boss 302. That uh, vehicle was praised by industry, by magazines, and experts, and as the best handling car built in the U.S. Those were the orders from Bunky Knudsen, who was a very short-term president at Ford, and uh, he had come over with uh, history of the Trans Am racing, and he wanted a Trans Am racer to get in there and uh, be a Ford and a winner. Yeah. So he said, I want the best handling car in the U.S. So we proceeded to develop the Boss 302 for 69 production, and it was praised as the best handling car in the U.S., and that's a car that sticks in my memory.
0: Oh, my gosh. The 302. Yeah, that is an iconic car. Trans Am winning car. It's one of those coveted collector cars nowadays that most people that love... Very valuable. You love Ford would love to get their hands on one of those cars. So if you think back to the development of the 302, what's one thing that stands out in your mind that just is a spark?
1: Well, the engine was developed with a uh, four-barrel carburetor and solid lifters, as you would do it in in a... situation like that mm-hmm. the one i'm going to tell you about is not not the engine per se but i told you earlier that the first car we put the uh, 289 hyper engine which is the one that preceded the boss 302 we were out in california to show with that car and don fry i'm sure a name you know yes. came up and he said why don't you have dual exhaust on that car and i said because the product planner said single exhaust So we developed one with five inches of back pressure and so forth. But he said, put dual exhaust on it, which we did. It wasn't the engine per se, but it was the engine in the car that we were working with.
0: Absolutely. And
1: it is a, a valuable engine today. People praise it and love it.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow. Spectacular story. Well, let's go back into your history. I'd love for you to share your first really special automobile and something that stands out for you about having that car.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you a story that uh, you may or may not be aware of. At Ford in 1960 in the right level job, I became eligible for a lease car every year. So I got a 1960 Mercury Monterey and I had one car every year that I leased from the company until I was promoted executive engineer. Then I got two. So fundamentally, I had all kinds of cars in my history and so forth, and I never got a Boss 302 because they wouldn't put it on the program, <laughs> Yeah, and it would have been the car of, uh, of my history and so forth. But I did have a uh, a, a Comet with a 428 Cobra jet, Whoa. Which, is, uh, which was a monster car. Yeah. I found out years after I had it that my boys took it out on 75 and opened <laughs> it up, but they didn't tell me <laughs> at the time, so... Any of that car size with a 428 Cobra Jet was a fine car and a memory car. Oh,
0: my gosh. I can't imagine putting that power plant into that car. I had an uncle when I was a little boy. Uncle Tom was his name. He was a really funny guy. He loved to play practical jokes. And he had a Comet. And I just remember as a little boy looking at the rear taillights and that little fin stuck up on the end there and and just thinking, this is kind of a cool car. And then his wife had a a T-Bird, a Thunderbird. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they both had some cool cars. I've no idea what engine was in that car. I was too little to remember, but uh, wow, now, the boys are you talking about David is one of those that took
1: no, that car out uh, no <laughs> David's brothers are thirteen years and sixteen years younger than him okay so he he, done, he didn't get to, to uh participate in that. I, I probably watched him closer than I watched the other boys, because as you've already said, I was pretty busy in those days. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Well I wanted to see if since David's been a guest on the show, if there's something I could come back and jab him with a little bit, but uh sounds like he wasn't getting in trouble like the other boys. So well how about Sellers Remorse? Is there an automobile you've owned that you've let go that you really would love to have back in your garage?
1: Specifically, I have not you'll find this hard to believe. Specifically, I have not owned a car since 1960. Oh, my gosh. Nor have I had car insurance because the cars that we lease from the company come with an insurance program. If I were to go to a car insurance company today and try to apply for a policy, they'd say, where have you been? Yeah. So... Mark, I have not sold or owned a car since 1960, including today.
0: Yeah, You know, in a way, you're a very fortunate guy because not only from a monetary standpoint, a huge cost savings. If I think about 40 years of not having to pay car insurance, I'd have a nice little <laughs> nest egg in my bank account, right? But the fact that you got to drive so many cool, cool cars... I mean, that's the lucky in your life there, the fortunate. And of course, it's because you worked hard and the position you're in, of course. But, well, let me, let me rephrase it a different way. Of all the cars that you got to drive over those years, is there one that you do wish you still had that you could have kept?
1: Yes. I had a Fairlane fastback. I had been ragging the, uh styling people I said your colors are all flat they're terrible you haven't got any excitement and so forth they said get a white car and uh, we'll take care of it so I got a white car gave it to them and they painted it uh, in a I, the only way to describe it is a pumpkin type color with high metallic content that would never go into production it had a 394 v engine uh, four four barrel engine and anywhere I drove that car, people would say, wow. <laughs> so if I could have that car back, I could still get some wows out of people.
0: Have you ever wondered if that car even exists anymore?
1: I have, because when I turned it in, uh, the car people called me and said, where do I get a paint sample? Sample, And I, I said, you'll have to see styling, not me. Oh, man. So I do, I do wonder where it ended up.
0: Yeah, you know, that is pretty darn cool to think about to be able to do that, work somewhere where they provide you with vehicles, and then you can just take it in and say, paint it something wild, and they do something like that, so... (laughs) Right. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Well, if there's a car all listeners out there with a pumpkin metallic orange Fairlane, <laughs> you need to give me a call. I'll put you in touch with Howard because he'd sure like to go for a ride in his old car. Check. <laughs> that would be cool. Well, you know, Howard, I know you're you're 91 years old today, right? Right. Yeah, so I know you're retired and you're enjoying life as it's uh, provided you a wonderful life throughout all these decades, but what are you doing these days that has you excited and fired up in the mornings when you wake up?
1: Well, I'm totally retired, obviously. I'm enjoying my extended family, which is I have a a son with uh, two attorneys of uh, his his daughters, and uh, I have two engineers in the family, but that skipped a generation. Uh, My two engineers, one is a young man who went to rose Holman, by the way, and worked for Cummins in Columbus, Indiana. The other young man is a... A uh, civil engineer working for a large freeway design company in Denver. So I enjoy those people. I have eight great grandchildren. Wow. And uh just I enjoy what's going on there and my wife is not uh, she's not bad, but she's not very mobile and so part of my time is taking care of her.
0: Absolutely. Wow. Well, what a wonderful full life you have had. That's for sure. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Howard. If you were a car, what kind of car would Howard be and why?
1: I would be a Mustang. Why? Because the car is happy. It's exciting. It generates interest. And uh, that's the kind of car that I would like to be if I were a car.
0: (laughs) Uh, You know, I love that answer. I owned a Mustang for a while. And I tell you, I couldn't go get gas without talking to so many people. I had it when the car was older. So it was an old car, a 66. And it was a a Shelby GT350 fastback, white with the blue stripes. And everybody wanted to come over and talk about the Mustang. And it wasn't so much my car. It was their experiences with Mustangs in their lives. Their grandmother had one, their dad, their mom, their sister sister the brother right it's like a volkswagen beetle just everybody loves the mustang it's just a spectacular car so having talked with you today howard i can see why you are a mustang because i think everyone that encounters howard loves to talk with howard so <laughs> i think that's a perfect car well howard up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to today's cars yeah sponsors hey cars yeah, i'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft Seat Covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft Seat Covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Howard, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Make sure that it is done right the first time. Delegate and let your subordinates do their job, but check periodically for progress and satisfactory uh, solution of the things that are happening. Make sure it's done right the first time.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Now, would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to all your successes over the years?
1: Well, I've always been known as somebody who let his subordinates do their job. In other words, I was never a micromanager. In fact, I don't even know if I'm capable of being a micromanager, but I am capable of delegating and and then checking to make sure that the people are doing the job right.
0: Oh, wonderful. I love that. Now, how about a resource? Uh, there are so many more resources now than back when you were working as a professional. Uh, it must be mind boggling when you think about if I had these resources at my fingertips back then what I could have done. But is there a resource that you really like to use these
1: days? You know, I'm really disconnected from the auto industry, except for one. I'm the chairman of a Ford Retired Engineer Executive Club here that is 400-plus members. Wow. And we're very well connected with the company in that over the last 10 years, we've been able to get the CEO speak to us in December. We have Jim Hackett lined up for this December, and then we get the other people below him, Rajner, uh, Joe Heinrichs, Uh, Mark Lanave, the the key people are willing to come and talk, talk to us. Ken Washington. So that's the only thing really outside that is still related to the industry that I'm working on, keeping that going.
0: You know, that's spectacular, and it's a testament to the Ford Motor Company that they still stay in touch with you guys, they support you guys, they come and talk with you guys, help you guys. Uh Really, again, a, a nice testament to that company, the Ford Motor Company. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be?
1: Be Roger Penske. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Yep. He's an icon of the industry. He's successful in many, many fields. He's a self-made man. I don't know the man. I've never met him, but I'd love to talk to him.
0: I would love to talk to him, too, and have him be a guest on the show. He's a very hard guy to get
1: to. He's a very private man. We tried to get him and come speak to our retiree club, and they said, no, he doesn't enjoy speaking.
0: Yeah, well.
1: We we, we struck out. Yeah,
0: me too so far. I'm going to keep trying, but we'll see what we can do for you. Well, Howard, how about a book? Look, is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy?
1: Nope. I'm there's I'm not I guess I'm not a, a an avid enough reader. I looked at that on your list and there wasn't anything I could come up with. Sorry.
0: That's okay. That's okay. Maybe what I should do is turn you on to audiobooks. My wife listens to audiobooks all the time. In fact, I tease her because she walks around with these earbuds in her ears and I'm sitting there talking to her and I turn around and realize she hasn't heard a word I've said because uh, Exactly.
1: <laughs> I know what you mean and I know they're available. We have a library here and they have a number of audiobooks in it. I just I haven't used them.
0: Well, listeners, you will find links to all these great resources that Howard has been so kind to share on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com. Type in Howard Freers, F-R-E-E-R-S is the spelling of his last name. You'll also find David there on the show if you'd like to listen to Howard's son to get a little uh, father-son generational change here in the way they've answered these questions. Both are fantastic shows here on Cars Yeah. All right, Howard, we're up to the checkered flag. Now, this is an interesting question. question for you because as you said you haven't owned a car since 1960 but today i'm gonna buy you any cool car on the planet it doesn't matter what it costs don't worry about that i'll even buy you a garage to park it in if you don't have one
1: what would that car be and why Being very consistent with my previous answers, it would be a brand new Boss 302 Mustang.
0: Ooh, okay. Well, you're going to cost me a pretty penny today, Howard, but I offered. So let me ask you this question. What color would you like that Boss to be? Yellow. Oh, the famous yellow. Okay. Yellow
1: with with the black stripes. All
0: right. You're a guy that likes to go fast. I understand that. Whoa. Oh, well, I would love nothing more than to deliver a Boss 302 to your front door. That would be something pretty special. So right, we would just have to hide the keys from your kids, though, because I have a feeling <laughs> and maybe some of those many grandchildren might want to jump in that car and take it for a drive, too. I'm sure they would. Oh, my goodness. Well, Howard, this has been an awesome treat. I can't tell you how honored I am to be able to sit here and talk with you today and have you share stories. I think you and I could sit and talk for hours and hours. Uh, We don't have that much time on the show, but I'm sure you could share so many interesting stories. So anytime you want to come back on Cars Yet, you're certainly, (laughs) certainly welcome. Would you offer us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Boss 302?
1: Well, as I've said before, when you have an assignment, the best thing is to make you have a responsibility to make that assignment or do it properly. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in or anything else. You need to be able to make it happen in the way it should happen. So that's the best piece of advice I can give people.
0: There you go. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Howard has shared here on the Karja yeah! website. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Howard Frears into that search bar. F-R-E-E-R-S again is the spelling of his last name and you'll find Howard and David there. I would encourage you to, uh, check out some of these great references. Howard, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. You've been so generous with your time and expertise and I've enjoyed sharing your story with the Carjal listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure speaking with you.
0: Pleasure's all mine. Com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true.